Hello and welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis. I'm here with my brother, Jeremy Sartori. It is a Brother, Brother podcast today. And i um, been seeing a lot of live music lately, kind of uh, making up for lost time. And wanted to kind of uh, talk today about how the experience has changed post-pandemic. And it certainly has changed. It's not a, it's not a sort of imagined piece. There's a lot. The rules are different. The engagement's different. And... Um, you know, to take you back, uh, Jeremy and I went to our last show pre-pandemic uh, three days before the lockdown. We saw a band called The Murder Capital, a uh, post-punk band from Dublin, Ireland, who, um, you know, sort of gleefully yelled, this is our first ever U.S. show from the <laughs> stage at Once Ballroom in Somerville. And uh, both the uh, Murder Capital tour and the Once Ballroom um, were both uh, 86 by um, a lockdown that, that came to, to be four days later, three days later. Yeah, very ominous um, night. I think uh, we both were a little, uh, this was pre, we've talked about this before, so I'm going to get too down the rabbit hole, but I just vividly remember thinking like, should we even go to this show and, and going and then having a, a group of uh, college students next to us, you know, talking about how, uh, their, their friends friend have just been got getting it. COVID, and and so without knowing a lot, it was a, a show that we definitely kind of stayed uh, at the bar and away from the mosh pit that night. Put it that way. Yeah, way far away from. We tried to stay away from everybody. We still didn't know how this thing was contracted, and it was, uh, you know, it was fraught with some actual um, peril. I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was a mystery, and it was still forthcoming and still unfolding. And it's hard to put yourself back into that mind space of should we do this or, or is this stupid? Um, and then, you know, very soon after with the lockdown, you know, it started the, uh, the shows um, that I had advanced tickets for, which weirdly at that time I had advanced tickets for four different shows, which I very rarely buy um, that far ahead of time. But I had tickets to see Emil and the Sniffers, who um, got markedly bigger during the pandemic and outgrew the space that they were supposed to play at Great Scott, which is also a uh, casualty of the lockdown. Um, I had tickets to see Beach Fossil, um, or sorry, Beach Slang, who um, I believe was brought, or had some charges brought against them, um, Me Too style, and uh, are no longer a touring enterprise. And then I believe I had tickets for Mitski, which um, was postponed, and then when it was rescheduled at a venue that had not yet opened, um, she had to cancel again because she had COVID. So it was a it was a very strange moment in time. But uh, you know, sort of forgetting what it was like going into the pandemic. What was it like coming out of the pandemic for you? In terms of going to shows, or just kind yeah. of yeah. I mean, I think initially there was some you know, rules in place, right? That made you feel a little bit more comfortable. Uh, you know, we live in the Northeast. So we're talking about Boston, Massachusetts here, where we're seeing most of these shows these days, occasionally in New York City or other cities we're in. But um, so you generally have a rule following population, I would say, where we are. Um, and then the types of bands we see tend to kind of follow, uh, you know, that as well in terms of showing vax cards and, and you know, wearing masks. Um, some of it, you know, I think some of the first shows we saw again were, were outside. You know, we saw Wilco at uh, Harbor Lights. Um, you know, those were kind of the first ones. We, we saw our friend who we'll talk about here, uh, Simon and Modest Mouse, which also was there. We went and saw them again in Portland, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, it, it was um, it was kind of actually exciting to be back and, and felt like a, a normalization again but i hadn't hadn't the club shows hadn't quite started up yet or at least ones that i wanted to see i think you hit some club shows earlier than i did i did the first club show i hit was a bob mould show um which was terrific but it was very weird it was you know you had obviously you had the proof of vaccination which um every club had um and then you had to be masked but if you were eating or drinking, you could take your mask off, which made it virtually, you know, made it relatively ludicrous to be wearing a mask and then take it down every time you had a sip of your drink. Um, you know, kind of 
um, defeats the purpose of being masked in the first place, I think. Um, so that was a, a strange one um, for me. Uh, and I think the first couple that I saw um, that required masks and vaccine, you know, the policy was they were still selling uh, booze at least, and you know, if not food in the venue. And, um, you know, these sort of caveats applied. So it was a sort of, you know, a little bit pregnant situation, you know what I mean? It was, um, you know, didn't really work. Luckily, um, I didn't contract uh, COVID at any of those shows. Um, I didn't contract it until later, um, also at a bar. But um, yeah, it was it was strange. And then, you know, there was this whole raft um, of time when I was going to see shows that were, you know, last second canceled or, you know, yeah. going to see, like I went to see Car Seat Headrest, and Barty's Strange, who I was really looking forward to seeing. And I, uh, eight o'clock, you know, set time for Barty's, rolled around and Barty's didn't come out and they didn't announce it. Um, two of the guys from Car Seat came out and just played goofy solo stuff and did like a modified stand up because they didn't realize that their opener was going to have to stay on the bus. Um, so, you know, there was some there was some make it up as you go along kind of stuff, too. Um, again, I said, you know, like I said, I, I had tickets to see Mitski uh, that was postponed by the pandemic and then repostponed when uh, she contracted COVID or someone in her camp contracted COVID on the makeup date. So that one just kept getting kicked down the kicked down the road. And, and ultimately, I wasn't in town when she played the ultimate actual makeup date. So there's, you know, there's been those kinds of inconveniences, um, but it seems like things are kind of getting back to normal. Yeah, um, I think kind of is a good a good descriptor there. Um, you know, I, I agree with you. It got so strange. Well, I think, you know, we talk about enjoying going to live music. It's something that, um, you know, we've done pods on before. And I think that... Uh, you know, there's a, there was a, an excitement to get back and still is. And, you know, we buy tickets all the time and, and you know, sort of did this pre-pandemic where you end up buying a, a sort of cheaper club date for a smaller band and then, you know, forget that you have another engagement or, or you know, or you're out of town on work trip or something like that. So that happens. But now with the rescheduling and reshuffling, you know, you, I've had times where I completely forgot, you know, that I've seen anything. And, you know, a few things that I've noticed kind of going back, and, and I'm curious, we can talk a little bit more about this in, in whatever order you want, but, you know, attendance, the the sort of landscape of, of nightclubs or, or rock clubs in, in, in the cities, um, you know, and, and again, pri primarily Boston for us right now. And then, you know, um, just the reshuffling of dates and things like that. Like, you know, I have had bought Waxahachie show tickets Waxahachie, and um, that was another one that I think got canceled three different times. Ended up going, mm -hmm. and by the time I went, it it, it was in a, a new club here in Boston, Roadrunner, part of the Bowery Group, and you know what I think initially was a sold out show was probably a quarter full. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's still people staying away, and you know you certainly can't blame people for not wanting to go stand in the middle of a crowd. But um, you know, I have found that. Um, that, uh, you know, certain club, certain shows I've gone to, um, Hooray for the Riff Raff, for instance, at the Paradise, um, that first Ice Age show we saw um, yeah. a little over a year ago, um, or at the beginning of the year, uh, was really under-attended. Um, it's, it's anecdotal, but it seems to be, it seems to... Add it, you know, be adding up to a trend. Um, I don't think, I think ticket sales are off. I think, um, you know, in, in our case here in Boston, um, you know, there's been a sort of consolidation. I mean, the, the clubs that are run by um, national and regional bookers like Live Nation or, or Bowery or Crossroads Presents um, are still alive but you know we lost two of our favorite places great scott which was independently owned and operated and uh, once ballroom also independently owned and operated um that said we gained three at least three new clubs and there's some more on the way um the roadrunner which was already scheduled you know to be built pre-pandemic it was it's a big um you know state-of-the-art brand new facility 
uh, holds about 3,500 people. MGM, which I have not been to yet, which is about a 5,000 capacity, uh, a Live Nation club, and then um, the uh, uh, Crystal Ballroom at Somerville Theater, which I went to last week to see Titus Andronicus, which I, I really like as a venue. Um, also, you know, very uh, updated in terms of its sound quality and, and, its, uh, and the facility, but um, that's uh, also that's independently owned. So there is there is you know some hope on the horizon in terms of independent clubs, but um, seems like largely um, the consol it's it's gonna it's getting consolidated under um, a few large companies. Yeah, and I think that is one thing that um, you know has kind of hurt that middle to smaller size band a little bit, where you have venues that are just larger and then you know being in a kind of a college town environment um you know there's competing nights so i know the night you saw hooray for the riffraff big thief played that same night and you know uh i think significantly campbell has the yeah, potential exactly. audience yeah i think ice age too there was i think there was a wet leg show uh, the first ever wet leg show in boston across town or i think that was it uh there was competing interest of some sort and um you know that I, I love Ice Age. You know, they were our number one album um, last year. But, uh, you know, they, and they, to their credit, they put on a, a show worthy of, of festival headliner, but for about 150, 200 people. Right. Um, you know, I think there's some, you know, in talking to some of our friends, uh, we had dinner with our friend Simon O'Connor. Um, who's currently in Modest Mouse, um, and that even that dinner was affected because um, the burden of of staying healthy, obviously, and being able to play shows was for in the foreground. We had to eat outside. We had to eat at a distance from each other, um, you know, uh, because they will get. I think they'd get fined if they were seen breaking protocols. But also. Um, you know, you know, he, he told us that during the during the uh, hiatus of touring, um, you know, that there was a pretty significant policy change wherein um, the burden of insurance for touring has been shifted from the promoter back onto the artist, and so that you know any dates that are missed are are a direct hit to the uh, not only the earnings but also you know the um, you know uh, to actually economically damage uh, touring musicians. So that's a really, you know, that's a non-starter. There's been a bunch of um, tours that, you know, have sort of fairly publicly been canceled in the past several months, including Santa Gold announcing that she was going to tour because it was too expensive. Animal Collective um, coming out and saying that a tour, a European tour for them was economically unfeasible. Um, you know, this is also a time when, uh, you know, the significance of inflated prices in the UK, fuel prices, um, you know, everything, um, food, fuel, everything is, is, you know, significantly more expensive than it used to be. And so the cost of touring is, is going way up. And, you know, with the, with the burden of insurance being on the, on the artists, that's, um, you know, you're talking about a double hit of things being more expensive and the, the uh, um, you know, the responsibility uh, being, you know, switched back to them for, for guaranteeing that they arrive safely and healthy. It's, uh, it's rough. It's, um, you know, this is my, I mean, it, it's a little doomsday to say this, but uh, it's certainly changing the way people tour, but it's also, you know, edging towards potentially stopping people from touring, which is a very, very dangerous place to be. Yeah, and I wonder too, and I don't know if Simon touched on this. Um, I know, you know, the time we met with him, he, he, you know, like you said, we had to follow strict protocol and forcing the band. And, you know, again, though, just just kind of funny stuff. Like, you know, uh, we were granted all access that night because of being a friend of the Simons and, and the band and um, and we were able to kind of kind of go anywhere we wanted 
in that venue. <laughs> you yeah, know? It, was, it was a, it was sort of again, mast or unmasked. Didn't to be make honest. a ton of sense. Yeah, it was just, it yeah. was just wild. And then, except for when we actually, you know, said goodbye and goodnight or uh, dinner, we had to stand at least, you know, ten feet apart or something. It was very strange. Um, but you know, that aside. You know, Modest Mouse obviously plays a lot of festivals as well as, you know, club dates and things like that and theater dates. You know, I wonder if just the audience in general, too, is skewed towards festivals. And then, you know, the the kind of because the actual club dates and those were some of the first things to come back, um, whether it was Coachella or, you know, Lollapalooza or even Pitchfork, things like that um, over the summer. And then you know, as, as people are kind of easing back into the, the club touring schedule, I, I wonder if that's something that, you know, affects that. I, I think people, I think I, you know, again, anecdotally, I don't have the numbers on it, but it is, um, you know, people do, would, people are um, voting with their feet, as they say, um, they are attending, festivals are, are better attended than individual club shows and a lot of the mid-sized cities are going to feel uh, the pain of that you know you're still going to get what you get in in the you know boston new york dc philly la san francisco you know corridors but you know the ames iowas are no longer on a lot of people's touring um schedule and and the sort of mid-sized town cities uh maybe are are not being serviced in the way that they used to be um and uh, it's 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 a shame. It's uh, there's a lot more hub and spoke touring, and that might be just something that you know I, I dubbed it such. I'm not sure if anybody else actually um, refers to it that way. But I you know again I have friends that work for larger bands, um, the Rolling Stones, and and friend that works for Ben Harper, and they what they do now is you know rent a hotel for three weeks in New York City and day trip to all the uh, satellite towns, you know, Baltimore, Philly, Boston, um, Albany, wherever they're playing, so that they're basing out of one location. They can kind of set up shop, have the certainty of where they're going to sleep at night in the same bed. And it's um, in there, you know, the side effect of that is that, you know, there's, um, you know, it's slightly less um, injurious to the planet, which, um, you know, everybody is very happy about but i think more than anything it's it's um a convenience element for artists to you know have a certain level of consistency in their life um and that's a good thing um but you know there's also this uptick in in you know multiple nights in given cities so that there's not as much travel um you know i see bands of some significance i mean a band like harry styles for whom ben harper is currently opening 15 nights in uh, the LA Forum uh, is doing are doing these long stretches. He did I think 10 or 15 nights at Madison Square Garden and is now doing 15 nights at the LA Forum. Uh, Morrissey is doing a, a residency in Vegas coming up. Uh, I know Adele <laughs> had one scheduled. Sorry, um, the Morrissey in Vegas thing is just sort of funny. I know, I know, and it, especially it makes for me feel old. <laughs> it is like it, fat it, Elvis. <laughs> welcome, yeah. It is, who honestly, he looks a lot like fat Elvis. He does, so he does, yeah. uh, I don't know, you know, as his veganism is is uh, <laughs> you know sort of piling on the pounds. But um, anyway, it's it's an interesting um, wrinkle. It's an interesting new kind of thing. And in a lot of these legacy bands that are you know that we did grow up on are starting to be those people. Yeah. Um, you know, it's they're going with the Branson approach, and uh, that used to be for the Ronnie Millsaps and the you know Osmond brothers, but now it's Morrissey and Lady Gaga. Well, I think one thing too, you know, going back down to the the sort of small DIY level, and I, this again is is somewhat um, not based on economic fact, but it's something that I, I assume plays into this. I, I've been. You know, noticing just I saw the band Dead from Chicago the other night, DHD, great new album, um, you know, definitely buzzworthy, certainly a band that probably would have played one of the independent clubs that we forementioned, RIP, Great Scots, and been packed, you know, I, I saw they're doing a three night in Chicago to end their tour, uh, Empty Bottle, you know, and um, and that's all sold out, um, but they ended up playing a club called the Royale here, which is part of Bowery, I believe, right? And, uh, Bowery books it. They Bowery don't own it. Bowery books it. Yeah. Gotcha. They don't own it. And so, 
not a huge club by any means, but but um, you know, definitely medium size and ticket yeah, prices. Yeah, it's about a nine hundred person cap. But because I think you know, you don't have that ten dollar, twelve dollar Great Scots kind of smaller club, and and the the price jumps up to the eighteen twenty plus all the fees that get charged with um, the services. You know, that definitely hampers sort of the college age student that would be hitting these shows um, and it would probably be hitting the small independent clubs in general. And I think also, you know, the, the bands just aren't able to kind of fill some of these these places, too, because they're not, you know, they're probably a band that would open for, a, you know, a larger band or do just a small club date tour, you know, and, yeah. and you know, geographically. Yeah, we don't we no longer have that in town. I mean, there's Atwell. Um, Atwood Tavern and and the you know Midway, but those are too small. Yeah, they're um, local. You know, you're gonna get the local. And the, you know, yeah. My friend Caleb Caleb Cottle uh, played Atwood the other night, and um, you know he's a he's a national touring act, but it's you know he's also on his own. Um, so uh, you know, I guess it it's a little different. But you know, there's no more Johnny D's. There's no more. Uh, currently, there's no Great Scott, although there's plans on the horizon, hopefully. Um, but yeah, there's a strange, um, it must be strange for people who book concerts right now to, to sort of, you know, what they used to put into smaller. And I think there's a, a fairly cooperative spirit among um, people who book clubs, too, that if, you know, they don't think they're going to sell out the Royale or the uh, Paradise or you know certainly Roadrunner, that they would flip it to uh, the fellow who who booked um, Great Scott, and I think there's a you know there's a uh, collaborative spirit in that. It's not as competitive, um, given the you know given the difference in in uh, you know um, ticket demand. The other the other thing that's that's very strange, and then you know this uh, again, this is um, um, something that's emerged post pandemic, and I don't know that it's coincidental but it it certainly has followed the timeline and that is the vip set that almost every band is playing and the sort of platinum level tiered ticketing that um that i see in almost every uh touring act these days uh, i know you know the biggest concert i've seen in uh many many years was paul mccartney at fenway and i know that the pre i believe the Package the VIP packages were somewhere between thirty five hundred and six thousand dollars, and that got you in early Jeez. to see a <laughs> solo acoustic ten song set by Paul McCartney, and um, I don't even think there's a photo op uh, given the uh, you know given the fact that everybody's socially distancing, so you know I think you get to either there's a Q and A and a short set I know, um, you know I hate to rely so heavily on on the modest mouse example but that's you know i i know that they have been doing this before every show um you know i i have uh gone to see a lot of um you know well, yeah i mean you, you you've been doing a little research on clubs in general and i know places like the roadrunner actually sell a package that yeah um, every, every show yeah and is it always you know this is sort of the stra- nothing that i a, I, I, I get the concept. I think it's great for artists, not necessarily Paul McCartney, who doesn't need it, but, you know, people like Modest Mouse, and we're going to see, like, the band Always um, in a week, and I, I saw something even for their show. Um, yep. So is this something... It's something that, to me, equals, like, store-bought, you know? It's just so forced that I would hate it, I feel like. But, but at the same time, um, I, uh, I got to say, like, it, it, there's... It's a mini show always, your or kids how does it pr- work? You know, I mean, like yeah, it's almost always a Q and A and a mini set. Gotcha. Um, and, I mean, it is um, kind and, of interesting and cool too. At the same time, as much as I want to knock it, um, and I'm more knocking I do remember, paying six thousand dollars versus you know the actual concept of I, having some time with an artist. I do remember, um, you know, this happening with Lady Gaga. 10 years ago or 10 plus years ago, whenever she first came out, I remember, um, some people that I knew, you know, their daughter was a big fan and they bought, um, like a $3,000 VIP package or something. Um, but that was the first I ever heard of it. And now it's come down to a level of artist that, you know, we routinely go see. It's not just, um, you know, 
Coldplay and Lady Gaga and Paul McCartney. It's it's every single show that you see in a in a club now is uh, preceded. Um, I think we're going to see Arcade Fire next week. Um, that you know, same thing. There's a Q and A, although that might be rather fraught. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, in some level of, you know, more intimate set and, uh, you know, good for bands if, if they're still continuing to take a disproportionate amount of the gate on something like that. I hope they are. Um, the other thing that is, uh, come up and I've seen it a lot, um, you know, attached to the Bruce Springsteen. Uh, right. tour that's coming up is dynamic pricing which is you know the same basic element that governs um you know airline tickets and uh um you know and uber you know surge pricing uh it's basically if there's interest uh the price goes up and i think you know that seems a little dangerous to me especially you know someone like bruce springsteen who has such devoted fans are you know i saw that the you know there were ticket prices that were like four thousand dollars well and that caused quite a backlash i'm not sure that anything was done about that but it still was something that was pretty highly criticized um both by fans but if you have jackass so don't whatever i'm gonna be rude here but assholes who are gonna fucking do it then why wouldn't you you know yeah and and that's the problem (laughs) yeah it it is and it's you know i mean Rather, you know, thank God this isn't an economics podcast because we'd be very far out of our depth uh, with Christian not being on it. But um, it's also, you know, it it is the continued shift of, you know, uh, wealth going to a very small percentage of people. You know, I don't know a lot of people who can pay uh, VIP pricing, um, you know, unless it's their absolute, you know, unless it's a, you know, the event of the year, their birthday or whatever it is. Um, I can't, Im- but then there's people who probably won't see another show for the rest of their life without it. Right. Um, and it's a drop in the bucket. So, you know, it, I guess it's a way to connect with your wealthiest fans. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't know. I've seen too many shows. Yeah. Too many shows in my life to, uh, to start paying up for, you know, access. Well, um, yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, let's, I, I want to take a quick break and then talk about some of the positives in, in the club experience right now, too, because I think there has been some, some at least here in Boston, I think other places, too, um, there's been some just renovations and sort of new new thought put into to spaces, which I, I want to mm-hmm. discuss. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I feel like we're, we've been sort of negative on the on the experience. I will say, like, my, my hopeful side is, is thinking, look, you know, we've had waves of, of COVID still come through, bands canceling, you and I, you know, made our way over to Cambridge to go see Ezra Furman for the second time, and that was canceled, um, so hoping the third time is a charm. Um, but I think, too, there's a new, you know, kind of resilience with, God, I don't know anybody who hasn't had COVID and at least had four shots at this point, so... You know, I do find that in the shows I've been in, you know, and I, and I will give a shout out to the to the dead crowd who, you know, this place at Royal was probably a quarter full and these kids had a blast. You know, I, I was, you know, again, as we've done a whole pod on being the oldest person in the club, I certainly was that night. And um, and it was great to see people bouncing around and just loving every minute of it, you know, and, and a sweaty mm. kind of uh, frenzy. So, you know, I think my hopeful side is that my, my fear would be that, yeah, we're getting kind of the smaller places are getting squeezed out. It's not economically feasible for some of these bands. And, and that would be my kind of fear. And we're seeing definitely that on European tours and, um, you know, our a few experiences we've had where, where, you know, there's just not enough to go around because you only have sort of medium to large size venues now in the city because the smaller ones closed. And on a night where you have two great bands playing, one's going to draw the crowd, you know. And, you know, mind you, we are talking about a smaller city, but we do have a hell of a lot of college kids here, so. Yeah. Um, but let's, but take, yeah, a let's t- take a quick break. We'll break come back a, yeah, and be positive. Uh, definitely. <laughs> uh, listen to Bad, Bad Love by uh, Dead.
back to Brother, Brother, Brother Pod. Today, Wyndham and I are talking about getting back out and uh, going to see live music, um, something that I uh, will do as long as I physically can, and I uh, believe you will as well. And, uh, you know, some of our recent experiences, you know, none bad, but definitely different post-pandemic um, and some of our, you know, during the pandemic. But uh, one cool thing that I, I've found, at least in a city here in Boston where we, we have a lot of older venues like Paradise, Middle East, things like that. But we've also had some new venues over the last 10 years and then recent as well um, seem to be backed by, you know, the Bowery Group. And I know you're doing a little piece on, on live music here in the city. So um, not to give anything away to your, your article that hasn't come out, but I just wanted to get some insights. My, my uh, fervent readers. Yeah, your fervent readers. But uh, just some insight on, on some of the stuff, you know, I, I've definitely noticed you know, some of my favorite clubs now actually are newer, and, and there's some reasons behind that, but go ahead and shoot. Yeah, I, I actually did a walkthrough of Roadrunner um, with uh, the vice president of um, Bowery Presents, um, Josh Body, and, you know, kind of some of the nuances pointed out to me, some of the cooler elements of the, of the club, and, it, you know, there's a lot of thought, there's a lot of, um, you know, they built, they built Sinclair from the ground up, and they're built, and they were able to build Roadrunner. Uh, from the ground up with the, you know, in cooperation with New Balance, um, who is the corporate entity who's, uh, you know, Sell who's out. downstairs they occupy. Yeah. yeah. No, but uh, it's a, it's a, it's cool. It's, you know, I mean, there are things that have been learned from many, many years of, of attending concerts. And, you know, there's, you know, things that were thought of that are architecturally employed there that are, are really helpful. I mean, the balcony is, is, diagonal you know is it goes out diagonally so that everybody can see and there's not one sort of line of sight um there are you know there's a area where you can walk behind um what amounts to sort of a set of you know risers in the back um and there are you know strategically uh placed holes in the in the in the wall there so that the sound will come through so that you're still in the concert despite the fact that you're you know taking a detour to go to the bar or the bathroom or whatever um bar placement um uh number of toilets i mean we've all we're all veterans of uh the old cbgb where in you had to walk across a corner of the stage to use the world's most disgusting bathroom <laughs> and you know while i always have fond memories of that not what I want to do anymore, you know? Um, I don't really want to use a broken toilet, the single broken toilet, um, you know, or the, you know, the living room Providence that used to not have doors on its stalls. Um, and, uh, you know, a little... Just uh, in case great you Scott. really need to take a dump at a concert, it's not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, even even Great Scott, you had to walk past the stage to get to the toilet. Yeah. Um, you over, know, which over is charming. the equipment from the opening band, you know, to get to the bathroom. Yeah, and there's no, where there was no green room. I mean, it yeah. was, I, I thought it was fun because the band had to hang out at the bar and and usually that, you know, makes for a better experience. But it, it's still, I don't think they loved it. Um, and, you know, that's still a, a club that, you know, where people were, you know, half of the bands were bus, half the, half the band were van, you know. So yeah. um, it, you know, whatever it's well i can i can you know i mean i just saw built a spill on their recent tour at the paradise which is a a classic you know boston it is paradise rock club and uh you know there's giant pillars and you know if you you get stuck behind you can't see and if you do go to the balcony the ceiling if you're over six four you feel like you're gonna bang your head on a you know on on the actual ceiling so um, I'm not over six four, but it still feels like it's you know right there. So you know, again, I, I like going to that club. It's it's a it's a good club. It's old but, home. but when yeah. I go to the Sinclair, uh, who is also you know opened by these guys, um, you have a, a much different experience. You know, it, it's the just the uh, beverage you know location, and and I like to have drinks at, it's at not... a club. I never feel like I have to wait for a drink or can't get to the bar or have to walk through. You know, also you don't love disrupting people when you're you know people are enjoying a show and you have to kind of weave your way around a million people to get get a drink or something or to go to the bathroom. I, I think all of these places have really thought that out. And you know, we were kind of joking. It's like the baseball stadium thing. You know, you go to um, nobody seems to go, but the, you know, Camden Yards in Baltimore or something where. 
they actually decided like, oh yeah, if we make these smaller and more comfortable and more accessible, but also like the sight lines great. You know, I mean, Fenway Park is a, a classic. You should go there, but you can't see from half the though. places. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know. I mean, I, I, bought, a t- I bought a cheapy ticket uh, a marathon Monday last second and my, you know, I mean, it's famous for this, but the, you know, my seat didn't face in the right direction. You know right. what I mean? It face, if you're sitting in right field and you're facing the bleachers, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a very, you know, th- these are the things that are, are corrected in, in the neat, in these new, um, you know, build outs. They're, they're smart. They're, they're building enough facilities. They're building enough bars. They're building enough bathrooms They're Um, and not to keep going back to the bathroom, but it's, uh, you know, it is, a, it's something, I mean, if you're at a packed show at a tiny club and there's one toilet, it's, um, yeah, it sucks. it's gets nasty. And, um, uh, I mean, I, these guys also did Brooklyn steel and, and, you know, other clubs. And, and so, I mean, I think I've had a lot of experiences at their venues and they keep getting better. And I think that's, what's kind of yeah. cool is, is, you know, the ability to kind of be like, Oh yeah, if we do this, this and this, and then also the size venue is much needed in a lot of cities. So, um, I, you know, I don't think they'll be in every city right now. I believe they kind of stretched down the East coast to the Carolinas, but like one of the things that I always hated was when a band, like, let's just say LCD sound system, one of our favorites who, you know, we've seen many times reaches a certain point where they're not going to play, Sinclair or Paradise and they're not gonna play Babies All Right in New York but um you know you end up having to see them and in, in, in Boston you used to have to see them in, at the BU arena right which was just a horrible experience. which is built for hockey yeah, yeah. You know, and basketball or something so it's just it's not a great experience and, and now you have a, a venue where you feel it is a it is a club um you know where these places sort of I think some of the stuff we were talking about earlier where, where it gets a little weird is when, when you end up having these smaller acts that can't quite fill them. But for the most part, you know, I think everything has been thought out to the point where it's like you have that club experience that you really want, um, but you get to see the bands that, you know, aren't, and you don't have to, you know, suffer through a stadium, which I just won't do anymore. Yeah. Well, that was the analogy that we, we came up with, you know, they had those multi-purpose stadiums in the seventies where, you know, you, it was football, baseball and concerts and, you know, all three experiences were worse because they had to share the facility and accommodate the other sports and events. Um, Oakland, you know, these places are built for music. Yeah. Um, these places are built for music and that's what they're for. I mean, Fenway, as much as I enjoyed seeing Paul McCartney at Fenway is a terrible music venue. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's a nice trusty old ballpark, but it is not built for musicians and it's not built for sound and it is awkward it's uh the way it's divvied up is is very awkward um you know i I went to a celtics game the other night at td garden i have been to maybe one or two concerts there um or no i've actually been to a fair number of concerts there now that i think about it but it's just not built for concerts it's it's better than fenway but it's um you know it's built for sports and um and uh, again, us over at BU is the same way. So, you know, like I said, I think we're both really happy that they're building um, new, specifically built for music venues like Roadrunner and Sinclair. 100%. Um, one other thing just to touch on, just having a teenage daughter and close to teenage daughter is, I know you when you talked to Simon, um, who also has, has been touring at times with MGMT, the TikTok effect, right? <laughs> it's, uh, mm-hmm. You know, you're getting a lot of younger folk, younger folk, um, younger kids um, who are really jamming out to tunes based on TikTok. I am consistently, um, well, I'm a music dork, obviously, and my ideal uh, experience would be to turn my kids on to really cool music, you know, and have them love cool music as you did for me or something like that. But in reality, they're just finding cool music on TikTok. And, you know, a lot of it is, you know, these videos that they watch and they'll throw on playlists. And I'm like, oh, you like Death Cab for Cutie or you like, but it's really single driven and song driven off of these things. So, um, you know, it's almost disassociated from the artist. 100 percent. Yeah. And and it's these little videos and, and these things. And so that's another thing that. Um, and I don't know how far down the, the age line or far up the age line that goes, but, you know, you're getting obscure songs from bands that, um, you know, Vundabar, the Boston band is a great example. They had a song mm-hmm. on their, you know, first or second album that 
became a huge TikTok sensation and they ended up popping it on their new album just because it was so big. Um, and, you know, that's a song that like in a band that I just was like, how the hell did you guys hear this? You know, um, mm -hmm. but that's and that's how. And, and so it, it's interesting to see if that that kind of I don't think you're getting necessarily people showing up for one song to see a show. I think they're sort of, you know, the attention span moves on pretty quickly. No, I don't think it translates to ticket sales. Um, I think it translates to streams, but I don't think it necessarily... Definitely streams. You, know, you can see it, yeah. And it, it's, uh, you know, it is an allegiance to a certain song rather than to an artist. But, you know, some kids will, you know, some people will uh, go down the rabbit hole. And when I say kids, um, you know, I specifically mean the woman who came up to me at the Nilo Yanya show <laughs> at the Sinclair in Cambridge and asked me why I was, you know, asked me why as a older white man was I at the show um, you know I think I think there will be uh, but I do think you know that's a, that it's a gateway to discovery certainly um, and you did not find people. her on TikTok amazingly you actually uh, listened to the no no and I have didn't. been a fan for a long time <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah it was it, uh, that aside I, I don't have uh, the interaction with TikTok that you do and um, so I'm kind of curious about that phenomenon, but it, it has made kind of, it has elevated pretty, some pretty obscure stuff to, to, you know, sort of monumental status. I mean, you know, case in point, I mean, this isn't obviously TikTok related necessarily, but I mean, Running Up That Hill became a number one song this year. Yeah, I mean, and definitely. And it, it is in a way because it comes off of a popular show, but then it becomes popped into every video you know what i mean so they'll just I, I my exposure is fairly limited but what i see of it is you know these songs will just get kind of recycled onto these videos then and then everybody does kind of like a reenactment or you know some sort of dance or whatever to it and um no it's wild or the guy who was you know skateboarding on the longboard in california drinking ocean spray listening yeah. to you know fleetwood mac you know that's just all of a sudden becomes like a which also elevated that song again to you know i mean not that the song ever isn't probably on the charts because it's amazing and has been forever but probably hadn't been in the top 10 in a while you know god bless those scrappy up-and-comers in fleetwood mac gosh yeah lucky lucky bastards um, but no, I mean, I think in general, uh, we will probably check in again on live music as we're going to be seeing more shows. And, you know, my hope is that, you know, uh, it, it kind of starts to even out a little bit and people get back out there. And, and you know, it could be just some of the shows that we've seen, a little more obscure bands. And, and you know, we're, we're rooting for great Scots to come back in some of the smaller clubs as well. But in general, I would say it, it is nice to be back. And um, I, like I said, I, I had just so much fun at that dead show, just it, how much I forgot how enthusiastic you can be for a band when you're, you know, 23 and drunk on PBR. And, uh, you know, there's nothing like hearing the fucking bass nail you in the chest at a loud show. And, um, yeah. you know, it was, it was great. And, you know, I'm excited to go. We're going next week to some shows and, and, uh, I'm, I'm stoked. Yeah. And we'll, we'll tweet out uh, your article when it comes out. Your math, your math. Yeah, that's good. On, good. On Thank music. you. Um, let's uh, let's take a, another quick break, and we'll come back and end this how we end all of them. Sounds good. You want to hear? Uh, let's let's do. Jeez, uh, now I can't think. Let's do running up that hill, the number one hit of the <laughs> summer. <laughs> to the brother 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 podcast uh we're gonna end this show the way we end every show 
with the uh, surprise trick question of Jeremy. What are you listening to? All right. Well, I have been listening to, I'm going to go music and the band I've mentioned a little while ago, um, Always out of uh, Toronto. Or Are they Toronto or are they... They are actually PEI or that's right. Pre- yeah, um, Prince Edward Atlantic provinces, yep. but um, gotcha. based out of Toronto. Based now. out of Toronto now, yeah. So Molly Rankin and um, and group, and they put out. Um, gosh, do I dare say it's my favorite album of the year so far? I I love this record. I um, I think it's uh, Blue Rev is the record. It was released in October on Polyvinyl. It's just kind of a perfect pop album for me. And, and the thing I really like about this band, I, I really enjoyed um, the last two um, anti-socialites and the, the debut album self-titled as well. Um, but one thing I think this band does just extremely well is they take the confines of a, a traditional sort of early mid sixties pop song and bring in a bliss of, you know, kind of pedals and, and, shoegaze and and you know um whimsy to it that uh just really opens up while staying in that three minute kind of gem that i am so attracted to anyways so they they sort of put all the touches on of of other kind of i guess uh outside the lines music like jesus and mary chain or you know uh my bloody valentine or you know mixed with sort of uh you know a straightforward kind of pop song and, and great lyrics i love this record it you know, as of now, like I said, I, I've listened to it just really more than anything um, in the last month and huge fan, excited to see them. And um, yeah, I can't recommend it enough. I know you like it as well. I do. I like it very much. Um, and then I know you're probably going to talk about a couple of shows, so I can let you do uh, that. So, and I'll chime in, but, or maybe you're not. So I don't want to take it from you, but what are you listening to, Wynn? Uh Well, I'm going to go. Since we haven't recorded in, in a little bit, um, I think I watched the entirety of Bad Sisters since. Yeah, uh, that was the last my episode. other one, but I figured you might have it. <laughs> um, and that's an easy that's an easy A for me. Um, I really enjoyed it, start to finish. Um, I you know I read a couple people, um, you know, were a little disappointed in the in the conclusion and in the sort of Deus Ex Machina of it all, uh, where the you know the the. Um, then when the actual crime gets solved, to me, it was never a show about who did it because I didn't care. It was about spending yeah. time with the family and, and uh, the magical uh, Sharon Horgan, who I think is as good a television writer as we've had in a long time. So um, I love that show. Um, I'm looking forward to some other things. I have, uh, you know, it's screener season, so I'm looking forward to getting my movies and... Um, Looking forward to seeing Banshees of uh, In a Sharon and um, After Sun, uh, but I haven't seen them yet. And I am um, currently reading um, a book, and I will. I it called uh, Free Love, um, and I will report back when I've uh, when I've finished it and can wholly recommend it. But in the meantime, uh, November eighth. Um, the Lemon by S.E. Boyd comes out, and um, S.E. Boyd is a fictional or a nom de plume for a trio of writers, um, among them our friend Joe Cohane, um, who have written a incredibly sharp, nasty um, social critique um, on fame and... Uh, the press, which you know, that sounds very lofty, but it's it's a very funny book that uh, you know focuses on a um, on the uh, death of a, a Anthony Bourdain type uh, and the scurrying to capitalize on said person's death uh, posthumously by agents, writers, um, good lord. Um, People who found him, restaurateurs, blah blah blah. His entire uh, coterie of of, uh, of hangers-on and and you know people who are are close enough to invent their own hanger on them. So um, not a very clear, concise synopsis, but it is a very funny book, and it comes out next week. I read it a, about a year ago, 
um, and um, was thrilled. And I just knew when I read it um, in its early stages, I think it was a, probably a few drafts ago, but it was, uh, I just knew it's a hit. It's an absolute hit, and it's, um, it's being produced for television um, uh, in the near future as well. So I'm really looking forward to other people reading that so I can um, discuss it with them. And in the meantime, I'm hosting a discussion uh, and a reading and book signing uh, for them on November 13th at the Plow and Stars in Cambridge at 4 p.m. So nice. that's that. Uh, how about you, Jer? Want to put a song on the playlist? Yeah, I do, actually. I'm going to go with, um, I don't think we have any Nirvana on there, and I'm going to go on a plane. I, I recently was, um, That's great I know it, it's an album that we, we probably have played to death and, you know, not something to pop on, but I recently got the urge to, to hear that song, and it's such a great pop song and, uh, and just a ripping tune, so we're going to go on a plane. Dare, dare I ask if you uh, saw it on TikTok? <laughs> I didn't actually. That's not, it's a good good yeah. question though. You, you probably will soon. No, it'll be more I'm obscure. It'll be like some rant. It'll be like something off Bleach or something that becomes you know. I'm pretty sure the song isn't on the list, uh, although it has several of its cousins by the same artist. But um, I'm going to go with King Kunta by uh, uh, Kendrick Lamar. Oh yeah, nice, good one, cool. All right. So, all right. Um, I will well, see you at the club. Talk soon. And, uh, yeah. Yes, and you will. your book event. I'll be the old... so, sounds good. I'll be the old guy in the back. I'll talk all to right. you later. Later. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.